Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me is my co-host, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr, 65 plus years in sports journalism between the two of us. And in tomorrow's show, we're going to focus on our top five Texans defensive line targets and a couple of Astros thoughts. But Stephen, it's all Rockets right now. And we saw something we don't see much. Rockets, for once, got a referee's call to win a game. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I had to look at it two or three times just to make sure I wasn't reading it wrong. Can we can we pack the guy up and take him to every game that we play the rest of the season? <laughs> That's what, yeah, uh, it was it was quite interesting. It, it's nice that they admit it. Now, I, that doesn't mean it's going to change the score. So, but, you know, at least you can be up front and admit that you made a mistake. And, you know, that's all you can ask, I guess. Yeah, if you somehow missed it, crew chief Ed Malloy basically did the Maya culpa, said, yeah, we blew it. And Stephen, last week I said that with Van Vliet's injury, uh, it could be a blessing in disguise because Ahmed Thompson will get starts at point guard and major playing time. He's got five starts overall and four since Van Vliet's recent injury. He's averaging 11.2 points, 12 rebounds, 4.2 assists, and 1.8 steals. He had six steals against the Knicks. And Stephen, he's already the Rockets' best defensive player. And rebounder, this is not hyperbole. This is like real. <laughs> yeah, you just look at the numbers and it's definitely real. And I think that as you gain confidence, you just your, your game usually gets better, especially for a young guy. I mean, it's important to have games like this because it does build your confidence. And I know that, you know, I was expecting a man to develop into a very good player because he did draft him, you know, so high. So, but I don't think I expected it this fast. And sometimes, unfortunately, you know, we see it in almost every team and every sport. An injury can kind of accelerate you forward. Now, a man had his own injury earlier in the year, or he may even be further along. So that's just what happens. But the Rockets definitely need that. They, they need him to step up, and they certainly need his defense if they're going to continue to even have a shot at the play-in. Yeah, it frustrates the crap out of you, Stephen. I mean, Amen, what happens if he doesn't have the injury early in the year? How, how far along is he at that point? Because it's not like they couldn't have used him early in the year because they were struggling when he would, when he would go to the bench and they'd bring other guys in. You know, what what Amen does for you defensively, rebounding, we already mentioned all that sort of stuff. And then the frustration also with Tari Eason, who hopefully they're going to get back post-All-Star break. But those two guys, it just seems like they do all of these little things, Stephen. We always talk about points and everybody, you know, gets a little excited about how many guy, how many points a guy scores. But really, those two guys, it's all those little things and the defense and the steals and making things happen that, you know, it's just like, what if those guys could have stayed healthy the whole season? Yeah, what if? Unfortunately, we we will never know. But yeah, you know, scoring points is important and keeping the other team from scoring points is important. But it's always the intangibles, Robert. Always the intangibles, you know, that that can get a team either winning or if you don't have them, struggling. And, you know, the Rockets have been kind of back and forth the last few weeks. What are they, 24 or 29 now, I think, after the next game? So, you know, they're a little bit under what they were a few weeks ago. And a lot of it is they just seem to have these stops and starts where somebody doesn't have a good night and you know, some of the players that we've been touting on this podcast <laughs> kind of gone backwards a little bit. But it is good to see that Amen Thompson is developing the way he is. I can't wait for Tari Eason to get back. I mean, I keep thinking almost every week, well, he's got to be coming back soon, right? Well, we still haven't seen him on the court. So getting him back and you just hope that he can round into game shape quickly and not have too much rest on him because the Rockets will certainly need him down the stretch. Yeah. And let, let's just be honest. The Rockets are four games in the last column behind the Warriors for a play-in spot with just 29 games left. The Warriors appear to have righted their ship. 
They're hot right now. The playing spot does not seem very realistic, if I'm being honest with you. Not only did the Rockets not make a trade, but they didn't pick anybody up on the buyout market, which I found kind of curious. You know, the Rockets GM, Rafael Stone, came out and said, you know, we didn't feel anything was right with the trade. But I mean, just the buyout market, just spending a little bit of that extra money that they did have saved is frustrating for Rockets fans. Like we could have done at least something. You know, he still cited Boban as something that they were happy about. And I just don't understand that. And I've just beat that dead horse. But Steven, Udoka's got to do what's best for the franchise going forward. And even after Van Bleek gets back, which could be post-All-Star break, Ahmed needs to get as many minutes as possible, in my mind. Well, yeah, he certainly does. And as the season keeps going, you know, we've talked a lot about Van Vliet and just having him have too many minutes. You know, now he's got this injury. So when he does come back, they really need to bring him along slowly. And, and they can. They can afford to because they have him in Thompson who can play more minutes. So that's what I'm hoping that Ime Odoka will do is, you know, let Amin continue to figure it out. He's not screwing anything up. I'm not saying don't play Van Vliet at all, you know, 10 minutes or something, but you can definitely cut down his minutes and it not hurt the team because you've got Amin playing so well. And think about this, Robert, it will at least get some more legs for Van Vliet as the season goes along because he just, he couldn't have kept up this pace. We just, we knew he couldn't. Yeah. Who gets the minutes? You said it. Van Vliet needs less minutes. You know, even if you knock him down to 30 minutes, that's 18 minutes that Amen could be running at the point guard just to right. start with. And after that, Stephen, anytime Jalen doesn't give effort or energy or if he's just cold, Amen should be on his heels. I mean, that's where the minutes, in my mind, come from immediately. And you, you talk about trying to get Cam minutes in there, too, when he comes back, which should be, you know, if not tomorrow, it's going to be post-All-Star break. First game, I would assume. I don't think he's out for any long stretch of time. So, you know, you look at, okay, we got to get Cam minutes and Amen minutes, but that's real easy for me. Take away some minutes from Van Vliet, take away some minutes from Jalen potentially. And if Jalen's hot, you can also take some minutes away from Jay Sean Tate, who really doesn't need minutes behind Dylan Brooks with Cam Whitmore. Well, that's the thing. You can plug and play. You know, you've got some options to work with. And Udoka said before the season started that he wasn't interested in having another project here. He was He wanted to win. Well, if that's the case, then you need to put the best five guys you have on the floor, both starting and coming off the bench. If you're going to continue to win, you need to do that. And it, it just seems like Udoka has kind of weaved back and forth, you know, in that particular aspect is giving guys more minutes than they really should have, than they really need to have. And, you know, in the case of Van Vliet, then it's healthy for him to have. Yeah. And part of the, the issue was just that Van Vliet, when he was off the floor, it was a disaster. And part of that was that Amen wasn't available the first month, month and a half. And you couldn't get him to, up to speed quick enough. They really didn't have anybody that was like a real point guard behind him. Aaron Holiday is more like a shooting guard and a point guard's body, so it's kind of tough. Yeah. I also, I also think it's kind of interesting, Stephen, that Van Vliet and Amen's strengths are almost completely the opposite of each other. Van Vliet limited by his height and athleticism. Amen's limited by his shooting and ball security. Both of those guys have an abundance of the other thing. Both can pass, although Amen's vision and creativity as a passer, it's just on a different level than we see from Van Vliet. They actually complement each other so well, though, because of those opposite traits that they can make sense as a backcourt, Stephen, in a way. Yeah, well, what is it they say? Opposites attract, right? <laughs> but, you know, honestly, I think they brought Van Vliet in as much for his leadership as anything else. And, yeah, I mean, you know, he's still a good player. He's been around a while, and, and he puts up some numbers. You know, his shooting kind of goes on again, off again. But, I obviously, moving forward, I think we both know that a man is the future. And Van Vliet is not. So I asked the question, not to Steven, but to everybody else that's listening and watching. How do you Rockets fans think Udoka should handle Amen when Van Vliet gets healthy? Get in the comments. Let us know. 
quick reminder also tomorrow we'll look at five potential Texans defensive tackle targets. We've talked about that off the top, but I just want to remind everybody that not only that, but Thursday we're going to have a Rockets guest, some more conversation with the official all-star break starting on Thursday. And Stephen, Dylan Brooks, let's talk about him for a second. Yeah, let's do that. Six of seven from three against the Knicks. He's shooting 45% from the field, 41% from three. Really surprising. On the other end of the floor, <laughs> I'm frustrated with Dylan's dumb fouls, getting blown by by, you know, just defensive guys that, you know, are just they're doing it way too often against him. And the lack of rebounding that he supplies you at the small forward position. I didn't think I'd be saying this after 50 games, Stephen, of the Dylan experience, but I like him on offense more than defense right now. Yeah, that is surprising because, you know, when you think of Dylan Brooks, you usually think of defense. And I mean, the, the ticky-tack fouls or the silly fouls, I guess is a better word. I think we knew that's what you were going to get with him. But hey, to prove your point, in three of the last four games, he scored 20 plus points. And he only accomplished that just once in the previous 18 games when he had 13.2. So, uh, you know, in that span, in that four game span, look at this. He's fit, shooting 50% from three point range, 50% in the last eight games. He only had 30% the previous six. So, yeah, his offensive numbers are definitely charting up. I don't know if he's going to keep that up the rest of the season, Robert, but my goodness, you, you got to take what you can get. Yeah, it's just weird for me, Stephen. I don't know if you feel this way, but I sometimes watch him on defense and I'm like, oh, don't do something stupid. And then on offense, when he shoots, I'm like, you know what? I'm starting to believe that's just going to go in because he's just he, he's been that consistent at the three point line. Yeah, he's 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 had an off and on nights, you know, at times. But overall, I mean, if his feet are set, he's going to make it. The only thing that frustrates me is when he just kind of rants at the basket. And I, I don't know what else to call it. It's like a, yeah. a, a Dylan rant. He's not yelling, but he's actually just running in like he's an angry guy and he's trying to go against two other defensive players and he throws up some wild shot. And I'm like, Dylan, you know, if you got two guys coming at you, guess what? Just like Jalen and Shangoon, just like those guys, we tell them, Hey, if two guys are coming at you, then there's gotta be somebody open. He's got to start realizing, Hey, there's somebody open. And it's just, it's that IQ stuff that he does where you just go brain dead. Dylan is frustrating. It is frustrating. And yeah, maybe he's spending too much time roaring like a lion instead of just concentrating on getting to the basket. But you know, the, that's the thing. It, it's up and down with Dylan Brooks. You know, he, he has the silly fouls and he he draws the technical fouls and things of that nature. But he does put up some good numbers. And then right now, at least offensively, the Rockets really need him to do that. Yeah, they definitely need offense. And one of the things that you would hope is if the Rockets ever can get an alpha or two alphas going and Shangoon's been sort of not the same in the last three or four weeks. And it doesn't help that Van Vliet's out now because that's a guy that really seems to spark Shangoon's offense and he helps them out a lot so without that the Rockets sometimes are just looking around who's going to get a basket who's going to score who's going to be the now there's no Cam Whitmore so you know it it even gives Dylan more leeway it gives him more you know this thing where I've got to do something about all this stuff yeah and you know Shangoon is starting to worry me just a little bit I mean there's it's one thing to go through a few games where you're just off or you're kind of falling back into some of the old habits and you know Robert sometimes that does just happen you know we do it mentally we're rolling along. We think we're doing great. Maybe we get a little complacent and we start falling back into the behaviors that dragged us down in the first place. And I don't know. I don't know if that's what's going on with Shin Goon. Did, did somebody sneak Steven Silas in there and he's whispering in Shin Goon's ear about, you know, remember last year? Go back to that. I, I don't know. But it is a bit disturbing because he's definitely not the same player that we talked about a month ago or, you know, the first part of the season. I hear some excuses made for Shin Goon that, oh, there's not the shooting around him and guys aren't helping him out by getting in the basketball. He's getting the basketball. He's not making yeah. the decisions. And here, here's the thing, Stephen. Like you, you hear, okay, they don't have the shooters around him. 
it doesn't matter. He still needs to make that pass to the open guy. If the guy misses the shot, you know, if that player that he throws to misses the shot, then so be it. But I just need him to continue to do the right things. And if that's the issue, if the shot making is the issue, we know that's going to be partially the issue because the Rockets just have too many guys out there that can't shoot or aren't consistent at it, at least. But at least if you're doing the right thing, it gets him into those habits. So when the right guys show up, then he starts, you know, really flourishing and they start really flourishing. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I don't think he's getting the ball that much less than he did over a month ago. You know, maybe a little bit, but that should not be an issue. And Robert, I think this is where it's important for the coaching to come in and take care of this. I, I you know, and maybe he is doing this, but I, I think Ime Odoka needs to start holding Shingun more accountable for some of these mistakes or, or just some of these poor decisions that he's been making. Well, he's pulling I, him. He's pulling him. He is pulling him. So, you know, he's doing some of that, but that's, that's going to have to be the case is this is where the coaching needs to step in and get him back on doing the good habits, doing the good things that was making him an almost all-star, not, not an all-star, but getting there. All right. Now here's something that you need to look out for as a Rockets fan. This is very interesting. What's the quickest way to figure out if the Rockets won a game? Look at Jabari's stats. Yeah. Here are his numbers and wins versus losses. And we're recording this on Tuesday. So before the Memphis game, uh, before the Memphis game, before the last game, before the all-star break and wins, Jabari is shooting 50.2% from the field and losses 43.2%. It's a 7% drop yeah. in losses. Three-point percentage, 47.4%. And wins, 28.3% and losses. It, that's a 19% drop. Hmm. His defensive rating and wins, 103. His defensive rating and losses, 121. That's 18-point difference. And then rebounding-wise, 9.4 boards and wins, 7.3 boards and losses. So how Jabari goes is how the Rockets go. Well, that's right. And I'll throw another number at you just to prove your point. You know, we were talking about scoring and how much the Rockets need scoring. The Rockets are 6-2 and two when Jabari Smith Jr. scores 20 or more points. He's done that in two of the past four games. Well, you know, if that's the case, he needs to keep doing that for sure. It's a bellwether now with the Rockets. Of how's Jabari doing? And then how are the Rockets will do. And, you know, that's this the consistency, I think, that this whole team lacks. And it's just young. you got six young guys out there, the core six, whatever you want to call them, whatever the big moniker is. That's the guys that are inconsistent from night to night. And, of course, also Aaron Holiday is a little inconsistent. I mean, coming off the bench. That's why he is a back-of-the-bench guy. But, I mean, yeah. really, it's it's the six guys. And if you can just get Shangun to bring in a little bit more every night, to me, it's more the defense. I get frustrated with him on a nightly basis, how he's up and down. Jalen Green, we know how up and down he's been. And then the other guys, you know, Cam and Amen have been, I, I feel like, almost relatively consistent. It's ironic how the rookies, the rookies are the consistent ones. <laughs> yeah, and not the veterans. Yeah, go figure. And, you know, Jalen Green, too, he's starting yeah. to maybe figure a few things out, and I guess we'll we'll get to him here in a bit. But, yeah, the, the veterans are the ones that are kind of falling back on their heels. And, you know, but this is the chance. This is the chance these young guys need, most of them anyway, are taking advantage of. And as far as Aaron Holiday, I – I'm a little frustrated because I really thought Aaron Holiday could be more of a, you know, come off the bench guy to kind of ignite you a little bit, but that's just not really happening. Well, he did it against the Knicks on Monday. He did. He did on in the Knicks, but I'm talking about throughout the season. I keep waiting for him to do more of that. Yeah, well, he does it sometimes. That's why he's Aaron Holiday. That's why he's bounced around. (laughs) He's going to get hot some nights, and I mean, overall, his three point percentage has been good. Really, you just with Holiday, you just go don't don't shoot the twos. I mean, unless it's a layup, because he's not good. You know, overall when he gets close to the basket, if, unless it is a layup and unless, you know, it's more like an uncontested layup. I mean, he makes some hard layups, but he's, 
he's not real consistent with his float game or the shorter jump shots and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah. he's Aaron Holland. I mean, he, he wasn't yeah. even supposed to be in the rotation. I didn't think Jeff Green was going to have to be a main part of the rotation every single night. I thought we would see a little bit less Jay Sean Tate. It's just been because of, you know, a lot of issues. And, and among them, the six young guys have been hurt, some of them off and on. You've had some other issues, like, of course, they thought they were going to have Kevin Porter coming into the season. And I mean, that was a big one. That guy you thought was going to be a major part of the bench rotation and they didn't have him. And, but, but mostly it's just been injuries, you know, no Tari Eason, no Amen Thompson for, for a lot, a lot of stretch of the season, like we talked about, but you know, it's, it's missing those type of guys that, you know, you're having to see players that you just didn't think you were going to have to see. And then also Jock Landell that you thought was going to be somebody just, you can get a consistent 10 or 12 minutes. You weren't expecting much, but just some center minutes off the bench for Shangun. And, you know, he's just not good enough. So that, that's the issues. Yeah, and that's where you just you kind of have to mix and match and figure out what needs to happen. And it's a long grind for the season. You're going to have some guys hurt. You're going to have some guys that just aren't playing quite up to par. And as far as Kevin Porter Jr., I'll be honest, I, I'm not – I was really not looking forward to having him. I, I think it's a blessing in disguise, really, that the Rockets don't have him, even though, yeah, I put them in a bind at the beginning of the season because you thought you were going to count on him. I just think the team is better overall, both – inside the locker room and on the court that he's no longer there. Oh, I agree. I mean, I was never the biggest fan of his. And, you know, that that's part of the equation, though, of the whole thing. It's like you you had this guy that I think they just thought they were going to get 25 minutes a night coming off the bench at the very least, you know, from that position. And there's some things that Kevin Porter can do. But as we know, there's also just bad habits that that was going to have to be worked out of him by Udoka the same way you had to work it out of Jalen Green. And you don't know if that was going to happen with Kevin Porter. And like you said, you don't know whether his bad habits combined with Jalen's bad habits was going to sort of bleed on over to the team in the same opposite direction that we've got Van Vliet and his good habits bleeding over to the team. You know? Well, that was it. You know, and that was one of the things that worried me is that as long as KPJ was around, that it would hold guys like Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr. back. And so I think it's just really – the Rockets, it's funny that, the you know, you, you don't need any more bad habits. You've got enough of the guys doing that. So, you know, not having a player like Porter around, I think just overall has has helped the Rockets. But still, you know, the, the coaching has to come into play here and really push them to get rid of most of those bad habits. You mentioned we, we would talk more about Jalen Green. I don't know what else to say about him because it feels like I just beat the same dead horse with him. It's just with him, it's, you know, are you going to bring it night to night, minute to minute? Do you understand the idea that you can't just be out there and spend a few seconds of each, you know, defensive possession or each offensive possession looking around and standing instead of like, you got to dig, you got to be running, you got to be, you know, going after rebounds at all times. You know, it, it's it's doing the little things and just, you know, it's it's the focus with him and, and just the want to d- desire to do it every single minute. And I just, that's the thing I just keep coming back to is like, does he really want it bad enough? And we got guys that are out there and they just don't stop hustling. Amen doesn't stop. Cam doesn't seem to stop. Those guys just they're, they're nonstop. And Jalen and 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 to an extent Shane Goon, but Shane Goon's got a lot more responsibility than Jalen. And so I, I you you cut Shane Goon some slack. And plus, he's over the last three years been more likely to give it to you the whole time. Well, the Rockets obviously decided that they didn't want to trade Jalen Green. They they were committed to him. So it's important that he continue to really start developing because you know, it, let's say the, the end of the season comes along or you go into next season and he just hasn't made much progress, well, you missed your window to trade him and, and get something decent for him. But the well, Rockets made that commitment. They're still, they're still, they're still got an opportunity to, to really make a trade. And I mean, there's still going to be a year left on the contract and you could pick up the option. So it could be two years left on a, You know, I, 
that's still there. And he's still somebody that they're going to put out there during the summer. I, I just yeah. don't see him here for ever and ever because I just don't see that they see him as the long term. The fact that they are even putting it out there that he's available. I mean, Stephen, that, that was a big deal. The fact that that was out there. Yeah. And that makes me think that there had to be, you know, it's not just smoke and mirrors. There's, there's some truth behind it. Yeah. From a contract standpoint, I agree with you, Robert, but I'm talking about the on-court part of it, that if his numbers just, you know, decline or it just goes back and forth, then it kind of makes you wonder, you know, how much could you get for him, say, by the end of the season or by the draft or even by early next season? Well, he's playing better than he was playing a month ago. So, I mean, yeah, his, he his, is. It's going up his value right now. I know the last several games he's he's averaged like twenty two point one points, six point six rebounds, four point two assists. So, yeah, his game is getting better. It, it just you want to continue. Is he going to continue that upward trajectory? And that obviously you can't answer that question and, until some more time goes by. It's not even upward trajectory. I would just call it consistent. Trajectory. Yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. I mean, it's it, there's always the up and downs with him. It just it doesn't seem to change much. I mean, there's up and downs with every player, but sure, sure, it's it, it's, it's a big issue with him. Well, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, which means we're not going to send I love yous to everybody out there, but just know that you're thought of. But that also means we're hitting the 29th anniversary, Stephen, of the landmark Clyde Drexler trade, which helped the Rockets to their second title. Do you remember who was in that trade, Stephen? A little trivia for you. Who did they deal away to get Clyde Drexler? You hit me with that one, uh, and I should know that too. But I, I definitely remember the trade because I remember how excited I got. I mean, I've been wanting Clyde Drexler on that team for years. You know, and hoping we get him out of U of H. That, of course, didn't happen. Uh, but, man, what a big trade that was. Yeah, I, I figured that maybe you wouldn't remember everything, but I, I thought you would remember one key name. Right off the top, it was February the 14th, 1995. They trade Otis Thorpe. Otis Thorpe, yeah. That's the name that wouldn't come to me, was Otis, Otis Thorpe. Yeah. yeah, Thorpe was huge in that 94 championship run. Uh, Marcelo Nicola, which I have no memory. That one I don't remember, no. And a 1995 first round pick that turned into Randolph Childress. And it was for Drexler. And do you remember who else the Rockets got for Drexler? I bet you don't remember that either. Probably not. Yeah, it's been 29 years, so I wouldn't <laughs> expect it. It was Tracy Murray. That was oh, the I remember. Player. Yeah, I remember that name now, Tracy Murray. And if you know your Rockets history, you know the Rockets had Otis Thorpe to begin with because they traded Rodney McRae uh, and Jim Peterson. Well, this is why, why they had Otis yeah. Thorpe to begin with. To I get Otis Thorpe, right. they, they traded McRae and Jim Peterson to Sacramento back in 1988. The irony to that is the Rockets got Drexler in part to Houston because of McRae, who many Rockets fans were upset, was drafted instead of Clyde Drexler. Yeah, I remember that too. How ironic. That, that's why I said, I mean, it would have been nice to have drafted him out of U of H, but you know, look what Rodney McRae did. And I know you've had him, you've had him on the show before. So you can go back in the archives and, and listen to that. But man, you talk about the Rockets needing somebody to get over the hump to win the title. Clyde did that for you. I mean, that, that trade definitely did that for you. you know, Otis Thorpe was, was a good player. He was one of the more popular players. But man, Clyde Drexler, you know, once they got him, the Rockets just went into overdrive. Yeah, and, and just to re rehash it. So basically the Rockets draft Rodney McRae instead of Clyde Drexler. And then they trade him for Otis Thorpe who then they traded to get Clyde Drexler back <laughs> to Houston. Akeem and Clyde actually beat Rodney McRae in one of the great college Final Four games when Faisal Majama beat McRae's Doctors of Dunk Louisville team. Louisville. Man, I'll um, never forget that game. And I don't know if that's what physically wore the Cougars out and they fell to North Carolina State in that championship game or, or what, but there was so much just up and down the court physical play going on in that game. Yeah, I, I will never forget that one. 
But there's just so many little ironies in, in this that you bring up, Robert, with the Clyde Drexler trade. Yeah, and Stephen, a few years ago, I actually asked Drexler's teammate, Reed Geddes, if Clyde should have been drafted over McRae to begin with. And this is what Reed had to say about that. Rodney McRae was on that Louisville team. And in a few months, he ends up getting drafted by the Rockets. And now everybody in Houston was upset. It turns out rightly so because the Rockets passed up Clyde. Were you stunned when that happened, when they didn't draft Clyde and they drafted Rodney? No. I mean, that, that's history revisionism because Rodney coming out of college was a better player than Clyde. People forget Clyde couldn't shoot outside of about about eight feet. I mean, he, he was a six seven power forward. Uh, you know, he dribbled looking at the ball. He had his head down. He, he couldn't shoot a jump shot. He just had this phenomenal motor and this incredible athleticism. And Clyde made himself into a Hall of Famer. He, you know, he had the skills and the, the you know, the athletic, God-given athletic ability. But he turned himself into a scorer and into a playmaker. And really, you know, I hate to call him a shooter, but, but you know, he was. And he had none of that in college. You know, that just isn't who he was. Because Clyde was a teammate. If I was a GM, I, you know, I'd have taken Clyde. Uh, but the reality is, I bet if you put 10 GMs in the room, I bet eight of them would pick Rodney over over Clyde back then. And it's fun because Rodney, because when the Rockets drafted him back in those days, we spent so much time playing pickup ball with the Rockets and all their guys that, that we all became really good friends with Rodney. And I think everybody on our team, you know, would consider, you know, Rodney being a really good friend. And he's such a good dude. And it's fun to hear him tell stories, you know, kind of like, we have our perspective of the NC State game. You know, Louisville has their perspective of, of our game. Um, and so it's been – it was fun over the years to hear him laugh and joke and talk about that game. Great stuff from Reed Geddes. And, uh, Stephen, uh, if anybody is interested, that's a fun interview that I did. Yeah, I remember quick. that. I remember that. And, you know, he took the words right out of my mouth because that that was the biggest criticism of Clyde. And you heard about it all the time is that he he's not a good mid-range outside shooter. But, you know, here's a guy who – made it, you know, he said it, he made himself into a hall of famer. He worked to develop that aspect of his game. And, you know, you go back to guys, the current guys, you know, somebody like a Jalen green, it just proves to you that you've got to put the work in if you want to make yourself a better player in all aspects of the game. And that's, that's exactly what Clyde did. And by the time that the Rockets got him in that trade, he was that player. But if they had drafted him over Rodney McRae, I, you know, I'm not saying that the Rockets wouldn't have been quite as good, but I, you kind of think they might not have been because he wasn't the player then than he was when the Rockets traded for him. Yeah, but he developed pretty fast once he, he got to the NBA. Yeah, he sure did. And, you know, he was somebody that, you know, if they had drafted him instead of Rodney, you know, maybe it's a different story in those years where the Rockets were just dying for some help for Akeem once you lost, you know, the guys like John Lucas and Lewis Lloyd and Mitchell Wiggins with all the drug stuff. And of course, Ralph with the, you know, he had the injury and then they dealt him away. But it was like, man, we could really use somebody like Clyde Drexler. <laughs> you know, at that point, you needed somebody to, to just help Akeem just a little bit on the perimeter. And, you know, by that point, Clyde had really developed his perimeter game by the late 80s. And, you know, although you don't know what 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 happens if, if Clyde's good enough, you know, to help the Rockets get to the 86 finals like Rodney McRae did and playing that perfect role that Rodney McRae did, which which was just, you know, guarding the team's toughest uh, player a lot of times is what oh, Rodney did. Yeah, he did that. About as well as anybody. Yeah, he was the Dylan Brooks without all the without all the silly stuff. Exactly. That's a great comparison. Yeah, and and Rodney didn't have the jump shot that we're seeing from Dylan Brooks right now for sure. He had this. It was like a clothesline. It was a line drive jumper that he would shoot. <laughs> yeah, we will never forget Rodney McRae. But yeah, that that's a that was a great read. Get his interview. I remember hearing it. And like I said, you you've had McRae on the show too before, haven't you? 
Oh yeah, we did yeah. almost an hour. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's worth checking in there. And the Reed Geddes one we did right, I think, as that Five Slam Pajama 30 for 30 came out. Yeah, yeah, that's when you did it. Because I remember you were saying you wanted to get him on and because it was coming up. So yeah, that, that was well-placed too. And I tell you what I'm going to do is I think about this, I will put both of those interviews up as a link. If you're watching it on YouTube at the end, you'll see links that we always put up uh, at the end of the show. Look for the links for both of those interviews if you want to watch both of them. But uh, good stuff. More Rockets in a couple of days. Texans tomorrow. Uh, thanks again, Stephen. You bet. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.